0: going to get the uh, slideshow on? Let's see what I can do here. Uh, there we go. All right, uh, so this evening we're going to continue with the uh, series on a gospel-shaped living. Last week, or two weeks ago, Pastor Chad introduced this topic by uh, uh, introducing the church as a light in the darkness. He said that we are a unique people as a church, and we have a unique purpose, and that is to engage the world, to live out and proclaim the love of Christ. Last week, Pastor Ron talked about being a united church in a divided world. So even though we are all different, we have different skills, different talents, different gifts, we are to use those gifts and talents to function as one body, to show the love of Christ and bring praise and glory to him. So now how do we go about living out this unique calling that we have in a way that uh, maintains and encourages our Christian unity? Well, one way we can do that is through service to others. Simply put, from a definition standpoint, service is to help or to do work for someone. And that is certainly a reasonable uh, definition to start with, but I would like to add a couple of other descriptors to that. Instead of just doing work for someone, there may be occasion when it's appropriate to do work with someone. And, again, depending on the circumstance, it may be appropriate to empower someone to do those things for themselves. To do things for people all the time has its certain benefits, certainly, but to, uh, to teach people to do these things and help them to be uh, more independent is uh, another aspect of service that, uh, that we'll talk about in a bit. So, as we consider what it looks like to serve people, what is a general characteristic of the people in the world around us? Now, some of you may have seen this list or something similar, uh, but we don't really need to go much further than to look at our children to see what kind of world that we live in. Some, um, this uh, toddler property laws Uh, is a nice little description of what uh, we see our young children doing sometimes. So, if I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. And if I'm... Going, or if I'm doing something or building something, all the pieces are mine. Are you getting a bit of a theme here? And then finally, if it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. Alright, that's, that's a little bit of good humor, but a little bit of truth to that too, isn't there? Well, that's all nice and good for toddlers, but I suspect that there's other ways we can fill in that blank instead of toddlers. How about young children that are older than toddlers? How about teenagers? Oh, yeah, teenagers can be selfish. How about young adults? Certainly. And aren't we glad that once we're past that young adult stage, we're no longer tempted to be selfish? (laughs) Uh, No, not quite. We can include middle-aged adults, and, dare I say, senior citizens can fall into this category as well. So, we've gone through the age spectrum, Uh, But there are other categories and groups that can uh, uh, fill in that blank as well. How about students or athletes, politicians, actors, employers and employees, and dare I say church members? Ouch. I'm curious as to what the pastors would say if I asked them to fill in the blank for that. Actually, I did have the opportunity to ask them this a couple of weeks ago when all the three pastors were in the room with me, but I declined because I figured my name would get put on that list somewhere along the line. So ultimately, all of these are people property laws. They describe the tendency of humans to be selfish. The actual wording of those property laws may be different uh, depending on who you are and, and the circumstances you're in. But I think you can see that none of us have live, outlived our potential to be selfish. So let's define selfishness, uh, as we're going to talk about it tonight. In simple terms, it's the attitude of being concerned with one's own interests above others. And one way I see that uh, fleshed out a lot is uh, by building up oneself up while or by tearing someone else down. The whole uh, idea of comparing my strengths to your weaknesses. Now, selfishness takes on a lot of different looks, but I think uh, that we can all admit that we live in a selfish world and we are fully capable of being selfish ourselves. So, the title of this topic tonight is Serving a Serving Church in a Selfish World. The church, of course, is not the building or the pastors and the staff and the leadership. It is the people of God assembled here. We'll talk about how the local church as a congregation can uh, serve, and then we'll also talk about how we as individuals will serve and can serve and uh, provide some examples of how people in this church have, uh, have served others uh, throughout uh, uh, the many years. So to get started with that we have a little video uh, that i want to show so let's watch this video it, it describes the type of world we live in including christians and how it is in contrast to what god calls us to do so if we can have the video
1: james and john are brothers and two of Jesus' disciples They're trying to figure out where they fit in in relation to the other disciples. Are they favorites of Jesus? Can they be sure they'll always be favorites? There's only one way to make sure, and that's to get a guarantee from Jesus. And even better, if they can get their mom to make this request from Jesus. Because who can say no to a mother, right? So James and John, along with their mom, approach Jesus with their request. They want Jesus to give them the highest place of honor in his kingdom. Jesus, when you take charge, we want to be right there alongside you at the highest place. They're imagining themselves in the highest seat of honor in the kingdom of Jesus when he establishes his rule over the world. They're imagining all the privileges that come from having been a follower of Jesus since the very beginning. But they're imagining all this, of course, through a self-serving lens. Jesus turns their perspective upside down with his devastating reply. He says in effect, you are going to be next to me, but not in the way you think. You are going to be next to me going through the suffering that I'm about to go through. The next part of this story isn't too surprising. The other disciples hear about James and John trying to position themselves for a seat of honor and they explode with rage. And We have to think that part of their outrage came because they wanted a chance for the top spots themselves. James and John just beat them to it. Jesus deals with the tension among his disciples through a powerful comparison. He speaks about the difference between the world's self-serving culture and what it is to be one of his followers. Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. The world has a distinct way to measure greatness It's the ability to successfully benefit yourself. It will often include taking control of people and situations in order to achieve something we want, wealth, status, or success. People feel successful in work, in relationships, and even in their church when the question, did I get what I want, can be answered with a resounding yes. We applaud those who do it well and aspire to do it well ourselves. People are hungry for this kind of success. Walk into any bookstore and you will see a wall full of books that claim to show you how to make it big. Or check out your junk email folder for a stack of further suggestions on being a success. That is the key to our worldly gratification. To be able to exercise authority over all situations in our life so that we can meet all our desires in the most convenient and comfortable way possible. Virgin Airlines boasts that they are one of the most luxurious airlines in the world. If you fly first class with Virgin, you won't be bumping elbows with the sweaty stranger squeezed next to you. (laughs) No, instead, you'll have your very own private pod with massage functions and a fully reclinable seat. You'll have on-demand satellite TV, on-demand Wi-Fi, on-demand drinks and food, you'll have a luxurious pampered experience now the airlines advertising is appealing and because it speaks the language of our worldly culture our world wants everything free and on demand we want relationships to have little to no commitment And if we do make a commitment we want it to last only as long as we are on board with it we want relationships so our friends our family our children to be easy and fully reclinable so that they go in the direction we want them. We want to take control over our time so we can earn more or have more leisure for ourselves. And we find it very easy to think of sex almost entirely in terms of our own pleasure. Even when we do good things, like volunteer for a charity, we still want it to be on-demand and according to our choice and convenience. We want our volunteer experiences to be enjoyable, and we especially want to be thanked and appreciated after we've done our good deed. If we don't feel good about it, or if it's too challenging, well, then we'll just change the channel, and we'll serve somewhere else. And the interesting thing about this instinct to serve ourselves is the way we love to cover it up. Even though we know deep down we're serving ourselves, we like to dress it up as selfless, or somehow noble and for the benefit of others. In the middle of this self-serving world is the Church of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is saying to his rescued people, to follow me is to be totally different than the rest of the world. The Church is to be radically and shockingly different to our culture, in that they are a people willing to give up their whole lives for the good of others. Christians do this even when it comes at the cost of their own immediate benefit and pleasure. So when it comes to relationships, the self-giving love of God that we have seen in the gospel will mean we're prepared to serve others. When it comes to our time, we'll be prepared to give selflessly to others. When it comes to sex, the Christian will not be motivated first and foremost by what is best for them. They'll think of sex in terms of commitment and faithfulness and pleasing their partner, all within the bonds of marriage because they'll want to seek what's best for their partner. This is what real greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. The church stands out within a self-serving world by being a community of self-sacrificing love.
0: The video did a real nice job of uh, covering uh, the introduction, uh, verses uh, 20 through 24 in Matthew chapter 20. If you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, uh, go to that passage. I'm going to be concentrating more on on Jesus' response in verses 25 through 28. (coughs) Excuse me. So, as we get into that, how did Jesus respond to uh, James and John's mother? Uh, and her request. There are several different ways that I think could have uh, taken place. Um, Jesus, first of all, could have given a resounding, absolutely. It's about time somebody uh, stepped up and uh, took the prize here, right? So perhaps uh, Jesus was thinking um, that James and John, since they're two of the uh, disciples that are closest to him, along with Peter, that uh, they already know what Jesus is all about. They've been with him for over three years now. They know about his kingdom. They know about his, uh, his mission and his ministry. So uh, it's, it's about time that they step up. Good job. Welcome aboard. He could have said that. Or what I would have thought would have been the way that I would have responded. He would have given a blistering rebuke to James and John with appropriate scolding to the other ten disciples when they got indignant. Now, some who don't know Jesus from Scripture may think that that is out of character for Jesus to say harsh word. But if you recall, Jesus in righteous indignation cleansed the temple of the uh, crooked money changers. He uh, blasted the Pharisees on many occasions and he kept some of his harshest comments for some of his closest disciples. So yes, it would have been in character for Jesus to, uh, to make that kind of a statement had he thought that uh, this uh, occasion rose to that level of some sort of rebuke. But no, Jesus uses this uh, time as a powerful teaching moment to show what living for Christ should look like. So let's take a look at verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, "You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave." even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus sets the stage for this teaching moment by reminding the 12 how the powerful and the lowly interacted in that culture. The powerful in the world at that time would tend to lord it over those that they owned or controlled or had some sort of influence over. And that's not much different than the way people interact today. No, we don't use the term slaves or servants all that much. At least in the United States, we don't. But I think we should be honest enough to acknowledge that powerful people uh, can exert oppressive or at the very least unnecessary uh, influence on uh, those lower than them. However, Jesus stated his expectations for those who would be great in his kingdom. Whoever is to be great among you must be your servant. And first among you must be your slave. A nice parallel to that uh, statement is a passage in, uh, or a statement that Jesus made in uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And the ultimate example, of course, is Christ himself when he says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So how is this teaching in such contrast to what the world expects? Well, servants or slaves have no authority, no honor, no influence on their masters. And a slave's whole existence, remember a slave is somebody who is owned by somebody else, a slave's whole existence is for the purpose of serving their master. He or she has no claim to award or to payment, and their life truly is not their own. In that culture, to be a servant or a slave was to hold the most humble and lowly of positions. Yet Jesus said that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be a servant or a slave. So Christ is a premier example of being a servant. He is the only person who truly deserved to be served in this world. Yet he uh, uh, chose instead to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that we may live. But just who did Jesus serve? Did he serve us? Certainly he did. In John 13 we have the account of when Jesus washed the disciples feet. That job was relegated to the lowliest of servants or slaves in the household. Yet Jesus took on that task. Ultimately as the passage states Jesus served us by giving his life on the cross as a ransom for many taking our sins and paying our price for our disobedience. But is that as far as we need to take Jesus' service? I think it's important that we understand who Jesus ultimately served. Although it's true that much of what he did during his ministry on earth was for our benefit, everything he did uh, was to bring praise and honor to God the Father. As we read in John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven to not, or to do not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So there's nothing easy about this teaching, is there? We're to give all of ourselves to the service of others. The world wants us to protect what we have and gain more. But Christ calls us to spend our lives for the sake of others. And as we spend our lives, there are costs associated with that service. Those costs may include our talents, our energy, our health, our finances, and our time. And you can add more to that as you wish. For those uh, costs that are up on the screen there, what, what are the most important to you? I would suspect certainly health and financial resources may be towards the top of that list, but we as Americans tend to value our time more than anything else on that list. Serving others takes time, a lot of time. Now we can reuse our talents if we use our talents once to serve someone we can use them again and generally speaking we can regain our energy and our health and we can recoup our finances again in general but the one thing we can never get back is our time Americans are generally very time-conscious people. And you may have heard stories about how we, as a culture, are more than happy to write a check to someone or some cause or some charity, but they get a lot more reluctant when someone is asked to invest their own time uh, to, in the service of others. So we have seen that Christ is an example of our service, and we have seen what costs may uh, that we may pay as part of that service so next let's take a look at what our attitude should be about service so in the video we heard about those even Christians who do good works with an eye towards themselves there are ample stories in the news and in the movies and in the media in general about people doing good things but do them to lift themselves up and to draw praise and attention to themselves instead of just doing good for others. Now some of you may know that I uh, enjoy many of the superhero type movies that are out these days. And some of, my, some of my favorites are the Avengers movies. And a character in the Avengers that really uh, fits this topic well is my good friend Tony Stark, the Iron Man. Okay, for those of you who are familiar with this, uh, this movie series, Iron Man uses his skills and technology with the premise of helping others, but much of what he did, at least in the early parts of the movies, uh, were really intended to bring notoriety to himself. Now, that caused a lot of conflict with the people that he worked with, and it just seemed that he was always trying to outdo everybody else and draw praise and honor to himself instead of helping those around him. Now, as the movies move on, uh, we, he does learn to work in the team, and we do see a few glimmers of selflessness, but I think there's always that temptation that would draw for him to draw attention to himself uh, when he does whatever he does as Iron Man. And we need to be mindful of that temptation ourselves as we serve. It's not just for superheroes. It, uh, it's for... Uh, you and I, uh, as a, uh, just a, a humble servant of God that can uh, still be drawn in by that temptation. Now, movies like this, along with so many things we see in the news and the media today, show how service to others, when done with a motive of drawing attention to ourselves, usually does not provide a satisfactory end to that story. So contrasting this uh, uh, with Tony Stark, with, uh, with the, what the Apostle Paul says um, as, opposed, or as far as what our attitudes should be when we serve others, uh, we take a look at uh, a couple of passages in Chapter 2 of Philippians. Philippians 2, 3 and 4, and 14 and 15. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not on his own interests, but, but also to the interests of others and then in verse 14 we read do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as a light in the world so first of all we have to have the interests of others genuinely in mind as we serve Now, that's a hard thing to do, especially in our culture with all of the uh, types of uh, influences that we get. And those influences generally say, when we do something, we need to get something. And that's where that whole uh, rivalry uh, thing comes in. Now, the word conceit is nicely paired with rivalry in that passage. Conceit uh, implies a level of vanity or arrogance As one commentary put it, an overly high opinion of oneself, hence Tony Stark, right? And how do we combat that? We have to be very humble, and we have to take on that humility in order to combat that uh, uh, tendency for conceit and rivalry. And we also need to do all with a cheerful attitude, without grumbling or disputing. Service is, at the very least, inconvenient, and it can be quite costly and time-consuming. Service done out of obligation may get an immediate task done, but no one can sustain a heart of service if they continually grumble and question. And finally, we need to do all this so that we may stand out as shining light in God's, of God's love and power and honor in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Has that changed in 2,000 years? I don't think so. We want our service to first and foremost honor and provide help and assistance for those we serve. However, it's not just the end, but that's just the means. We are to do our acts of service in a way that shows that people of God are different uh, than the world around us and that we can shine our light of love that Christ gives us uh, to those in this world. So what are some practical ways that we can serve as a church and as individuals in a selfish world? I just put up three general categories here, and of course, there's so many more. But as a corporate body, we can serve by serving in the local church. Pastor Tim put, devoted an entire sermon to this about on early to mid-December, as I recall. And I'm not going to start mentioning off all these ministries, but I know that that list list, uh, does exist if you want to see that again. And as Pastor Ron taught last week, all ministries are vitally important to the body and its health and its function, regardless of how visible or behind the scenes that ministry may be. We also have the example of service uh, to individuals or families in need. The Felposh and Bargeron families are excellent examples of how our congregation has come alongside families that have suffered uh, tremendous loss. And I suspect that will continue to happen over the next months and years. Our church has rallied around numerous families that have suffered loss or other types of hardship. And I think that's a beautiful description of the service of our local congregation. And also, we can look at missions and local evangelism. You need not look any farther than the, than the missions monitor out in the foyer uh, to see where First Baptist Church has invested in missions and evangelism around the country and around the world. There are those that are called to be foreign missionaries as church planters, in, as trainers, and in a variety of support roles, and First Baptist Church has invested in people doing all of those different roles, and I'm sure that we will continue to do so. Local evangelism may include many opportunities. First Baptist has partnered with or supported uh, pr- uh, folks involved in prison ministries, street evangelism, local rescue missions, among many others, and I'm sure that's only a start of that list. So finally, what about you and I? How do we serve individually? Well, the best thing we can do is serve in our community by just walking the walk at our work, at our home, and in the public square. This will cause people to see God's light and love even in non-Christian settings. In some respects, I think this is the most important aspect of service, showing the non-Christian world that God's, what God's love can look like. This may also mean opening your homes, your hearts, and your calendars to those around you, especially those who you would otherwise not interact with. That could mean opening up your life to those in our congregation, those in your neighborhood, or those that you may meet that would normally not have any need to interact with. And that may also include opening your home to new children, either through adoption or foster care. Now, I know that that is a very high calling, and not everybody can do that, but I think that's just another really good example of how we can be the body of Christ to the world around us. And we can also serve each other by encouraging, challenging, and when the need arises, confronting. Relationships are key to making that work, and I'm sure you all know that it takes a lot of time and effort to develop relationships that are deep enough that we can have that uh, uh, opportunity to challenge or to correct uh, or to confront. That can be one of the more difficult and delicate types of service, uh, but I think it's a very important one. And ultimately, we just need to keep our eyes open for uh, other opportunities that God puts before us. So I mentioned earlier the definition of service is to help or to do work for someone. There are certainly many times where doing work for someone is definitely appropriate. And we've looked at a number of examples of that already tonight. But I suggest that there's another part of service, empowering people uh, to do things for themselves. I think we need not look any further than the goals of our missionaries. Are they there to plant a church and to shepherd it forever? No, they're not. Their goal is to plant that church, but then to train up that next generation of leaders that can sustain, support, and replicate that church. They're actually trying to work themselves out of a job. And are there risks associated with service? Absolutely. There's risk of rejection, ridicule, and abuse. The world is a suspicious place, and pride can be a barrier to accepting uh, help. And we know that as we serve Christ while serving others, there is a huge possibility for pushback. There's a risk of being taken advantage of. We've all heard of stories about those who take advantage of those who serve them. Careful discernment can help with this, but it is possible that it could happen to you. And there's risk of not being appreciated or even being acknowledged for what you do. Although we've already talked about not drawing attention to yourself and praise to yourself, it is frustrating when an act of service goes unacknowledged, and I think we need to, uh, to understand that. But even though there are risks associated with service, we are encouraged and commanded to act in a way that brings glory to God regardless of our consequences. Alright, so we've talked about the selfish world we live in, our proper attitude towards service, and have given a few examples of how service may look in our local church and in our homes. You may be thinking, I've painted a pretty drab picture of service. After all, we must not be selfish or draw praise to ourselves. We uh, are to serve with an attitude attitude of humility that can be hard and costly. And we may not be appreciated. And on top of that, we're not supposed to have any joy in doing it. Ooh, I got a little different reaction there. Did I actually say that? No? Well... Let's take a look. Are we allowed to have joy in service? Well, the Apostle Paul counted it all joy to serve and to suffer for the sake of Christ. And the book of Acts has numerous accounts of Jesus' disciples praising God and having real joy in the midst of service and suffering. Do any of you remember the answer to the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism? What is the chief end of man? Well, the answer that uh, is given in the catechism is that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, pastor and author John Piper, in his book Desiring God, takes that one step further by saying that the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So there's a lot of precedent for uh, having joy uh, while service. But you don't need to be an apostle or a missionary or a pastor in order to have joy. There are numerous examples even in our own church where uh, those that have provided service have gotten as much joy as those that have, uh, have received that. I'll just give a couple examples. About a year ago, the Safe Center which is an agency that helps women and children in abusive home situations, contacted First Baptist Church to ask if we could help move a family uh, from one home to another. There was a pretty large group of teens and adults that showed up on that cold and icy Saturday morning. way too early for most people's tastes. Um, and uh, I'm sure if you asked them... Um, so, because so, we, uh, we moved this whole family of three in, in less than about six hours, and it was a very uh, hard and intense day. And I'm sure if you ask those people who helped that day, uh, they would say that they were tired, and they were sore, and they were extremely joyful for the opportunity to have helped that family. And we've had many other examples of people in our own church help on moving day. I'll give one more example of what it means or what uh, uh, serving can can bring joy and that is uh, the uh, many oil change clinics that uh, First Baptist Men's Ministry has done for Beacon of Hope's participants this picture says it all it really does now some may look at that and see a bunch of guys with oil on their jackets and dirt in their hair but if you look closer you'll see genuine smiles and a sparkle of delight in their eyes so yes you can have joy a lot of joy in serving even when it's difficult. But I think you can agree that without the joy that we have in serving God our works of service will quickly decline into works of obligation. What we have to do instead of what we get to do or want to do and that's unsustainable in human power. Sooner or later those costs will uh, outweigh any benefits that, uh, that we can get in our own human power and it's only by knowing that we serve Christ that we can maintain that power and maintain that joy uh, through all the struggles that uh, that service requires. So in summary service and sacrifice is often not easy, inexpensive, or convenient. It does however, show us or allows us to see people's lives change forever. Our lives should stand out in sharp contrast to the world. This may look like a sacrifice, but it's nothing compared to what Jesus has done uh, or went through for us. And we can serve and sacrifice because we do so out of the great storehouse of life and power that Jesus has given us. The world is full of people who live in selfishness, and that selfishness will eventually swallow them up. The love of Jesus is the only thing powerful enough to free them from their slavery. Slavery. As God's children, we are called to serve this selfish world in order to be part of that redemptive process. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving your son as the premier servant, even though he is the only one that has ever deserved to be served. His death on the cross is the ultimate service to us, but more important, it brings the most honor to you. We also thank you for the example that Jesus gives us as to how we are to serve with humility, with purpose, and through the strength only you can provide. We pray that as we consider our day-to-day lives, that we will have an open heart and eyes to opportunities to serve those around us and for their benefit, but also to show your light to the lost and dark world. We pray these things in Jesus' name.